This is Amanda. And this is Rachel. And this is Vocal Perspective. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Vocal Perspective. Rachel and I are here with Suba Shankaran. She is with Free Play Duo. She's also the artistic director of Sing Toronto Vocal Arts Festival. Hi, Suba. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? Pretty good, all things considered. (laughs) (laughs) So as we like to start with all of our guests, we love for our audience to know how you got into acapella. Absolutely. So I was born into a musical family, and so I come by music very honestly. Now, in that case, it's the South Indian classical music called Karnataka music and I was singing and drumming at a very early age. I got thrown into choir pretty quickly, uh, having a good ear. And so I was kind of obsessed with harmony from about the age of five onwards, started studying piano. And then I went to an art school in high school here in Toronto. And that's where I really found my love for all things vocal. I was a part of six different choirs in my school. And I also directed a couple of them as well and started arranging and composing for those groups too. That's amazing. Let's dig in first with Sing Toronto. You've been involved in that for a long time and have been the artistic director for the last couple of years. Can you let our listeners know a little bit more about the festival itself and then more of your involvement? Yeah, so we're in our, what would have been our ninth edition of the festival, which would have been happening next week. That is, that has since been postponed to the fall. And so Sing the Toronto Vocal Arts Festival is the only exclusively a cappella festival in Canada, believe it or not. And Uh, yeah, it's pretty wild. And uh, it's nice to know that there is a need for that here in Canada. And it's been going really strong. We've had a good uh, international contingent with the festival as well, having vocal greats like Take Six and Rayaton, Real Group, New York Voices, Swingles, Naturally Seven. We've kind of had, we've run the gamut of those sort of international superstars, and we're thrilled to have had them, uh, along with a lot of amazing local talent here in Toronto and across Canada as well. I've been with the festival from the very start as a performer and then I guess it was now about four years ago that my husband Dylan Bell and I became the core artistic directors after Aaron Jensen who was the director for the first five years and so now we we get to see both sides both as performers (laughs) uh, as well as administrators and and programmers curators that sort of thing but we're having a great time. It's awesome. What have been some of the changes that you've seen in the festival and its progression in the time that you've been there. Well, it started off as a quite a small venture, and I think there was such a need for an outlet and a platform and a forum for all things a cappella. And so we've seen our programming uh, expand on all levels, from the stages to outdoor public events to workshops that are being offered by various people. That's that's become kind of a longer scroll and. Uh, We've had different kinds of multidisciplinary activity, and I I feel like that really has legs, and uh, we're trying to find new and innovative ways of staying creative with that. So it's just nice to see kind of a general expansion from the audience along with uh, the kinds of programming that we've been doing. So yeah, happy to uh, to be a part of that and to watch it continue to grow. That's awesome. Sing Toronto is run a little bit differently than the most of the festivals that, and conventions that we see here in the United States, mm-hmm. and that it's over several days. What kind of logistics and planning goes into making sure all of that has some cohesive nature to it? Yes, that's that's been a big challenge for us, I would say, uh, throughout the years, because our kind of hub of activity 
activity has changed from one venue to another for one reason or another. And uh, we're a 10-day festival. Uh, it started off a little bit smaller, but we have since been a 10-day festival for quite a few years now, and we intend to stay that way. But it means that, again, we have to be creative about our local sponsors. We also don't have really a competitive component to what we do. So everything we offer is more like concert recital style shows or more fun improv shows or karaoke style, all acapella karaoke mm. style shows. And then, of course, workshops and school workshops as well. So we involve the youth of Toronto and Ontario as well. Does it make it difficult then over the course of 10 days? Obviously, you have, you know, school days, work days and other sort of like competing life events that happen. And I wonder how you are able to structure this so that people feel like they're involved or can be involved for as long as they want to be. Yes, I think membership is a, a big challenge as well. Uh, like you said, to be able to sustain over 10 days is a tricky thing. I think because we offer these workshops for the general public, as well as um, mass choir events where audiences can become the performers themselves, I think that's a huge buy-in into the festival, as well as um, being inspired by these you know beautiful local and international artists. So I think it's kind of a what I like to call the cosmic juggling act, <laughs> and, and we, we sort of we try and figure that out over those 10 days so that people feel like they can be invested for as much time as they like or more like a festival pass where they can just drink in all things acapella over 10 days. That's awesome. It's a pretty amazing festival. I've been to it a few times and I really enjoy it. And it's nice. It's refreshing for me to go to something so different from what I'm used to. That's great. And we've learned a lot from you as well. And we continue to and, and continue to hold on to those relationships just to continue learning about what we can do to improve. Because of course, there's always everything is a work in progress, right? Absolutely. Right. And I think that's a two way street too, because oftentimes Americans tend to think, oh, Canada, it's just, you know, up north, same culture, same everything. But from going to this festival, I've really gotten to see a little bit of how our cultures are different, even if it's very slight. And the mindset that goes into planning an event like this is is slightly different than the one we have here. Right. You mentioned that you started as a performer with this festival and you are part of Free Play Duo, which travels all over the world. I follow you, uh, yours and Dylan's adventures <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> very, very closely on Facebook because it always looks so interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about your performance act? Yes, absolutely. So we are an acapella live looping duo and great to be husband and wife doing that partners on and off stage where we have this ability to tour the world. We like to say that our our, our music is actually our passport to be able to travel to different places and be a part of different festivals. We're also both educators, and so we conduct a lot of workshops and master classes. We're also choral directors and uh, composers and arrangers, so we often like to try and connect with the audiences from different parts of the world and their choirs and uh, their choral community. We've been around for quite some time. We actually started more as a as your typical voice and piano duo. We're both piano players as well. And once we started doing two voice acapella work, we thought, oh, this is an interesting market that doesn't seem to have been tapped, that, that sort of intimacy and sparseness of two voices. And then we started building the technology in there about... Uh, 
at least 10 years ago, starting with your kind of guitar foot pedals and then moving on to, to Ableton Live, which is what we use now. So we're really pleased with where the technology has allowed us to go as just two voices becoming a little bit of, an, of a mini orchestra. Yeah. It's a very cool thing to see live. What prompted you to switch from a piano duo to uh, ditching the piano? <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because I, we have something that we're doing. We're doing these live stream concerts every week and we're going to start to sneak that piano back in there. <laughs> yeah. But there's there's something so beautiful about acapella music and vocal music. There's such a raw honesty about the human voice. And I feel like we can really explore different expression and different emotion once we start singing and using our bodies and our voices for what we do. And I think that was the first thing that really made our duo something special and made us really make that switch from voice and piano over to just voices. And it's amazing to see that it just, the curiosity grows exponentially and we keep finding new ways to to reimagine the voices and recombine them in different ways that aren't your typical live looping setup. If listeners are familiar with live looping, sometimes it can become a bit tedious or a bit monotonous where you hear a loop over, you know, eight bars and then you add another loop and that goes on for another eight bars. We've now figured out ways to to change it up and change up the forms of the songs so that hopefully it gives the listener something a little bit more exciting, a little bit more adventurous too. Yeah. So in your travels, you you guys have been to some pretty amazing places. Do you have a favorite place that you've traveled? Oh boy, that's always the, the <laughs> tough question. I feel like my my top 10 list is actually a top 30. <laughs> um, Australia was unbelievable. We had the opportunity to go there two years in a row for uh, ostensibly for the Adelaide Fringe Festival. And then we built in other other work around that, which was really quite amazing. Uh, working with choirs, uh, singing in clubs, all that kind of stuff. So Australia was amazing. We tend to do an annual trip to Germany. This is the first year we haven't done it in, oh boy, at probably about 13 years. We've had many, many tours be cancelled, of course, but Germany is wonderful and we, we seem to have a real love for Berlin. We were recently in Brazil. We actually had to come home pretty quickly on the orders of our prime minister before they started closing the borders. And uh, and Brazil is absolutely beautiful as well. So yeah, it's a really tough question to to pinpoint just one amazing place we've we've had we're so grateful that we've we've gotten to travel a lot of the world. But yeah, at least in this moment, that's that's what comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are some pretty awesome places. How do you, the audiences, you know, most acapella singers tend to be in front of a very traditional acapella audience, and you all bring in a much wider audience. How is your act received by audiences that maybe have never seen something like looping before? It's always very interesting. Audiences have responded really favorably all over the world. What we find is the biggest challenge is how to bill ourselves and how to describe what we do. A, a lot of people, they're like, oh, okay, two voices, and they do all sorts of styles, all genres, spanning various centuries. How does this all make sense? And it's almost like you have to see it and hear it to understand it. And so that we're we're trying to figure out how to how to bridge that gap a little bit. But people come out saying that they were so mesmerized by the different types of sounds and combinations of sounds that we were able to create. The fact that we sing in multiple languages, we we hit various styles of music, jazz, pop, classical, South Indian, folk 
funk, you name it, it's all kind of in there. And and so I, I think people walk away with a really wonderful feeling of almost having been around the world without really leaving your seat. And that just with the beautiful intimacy of two voices. It is. It's pretty amazing. Oh, Speaking you. of just two voices, uh, most acapella singers find some kind of comfort in being a large in a larger group, like 10, 12, 14, even larger in some of the collegiate groups. Mm-hmm. What's the difference singing with just a duo? There is a lot of trust that goes into singing in a duo. It's quite amazing. And of course, once again, you know, being partners on and off stage really helps. We actually just did a documentary for the UK Rural Touring Associates that we worked for last year. They're doing something online, which is quite amazing. And we actually did this documentary called On Music and Marriage. Basically, the idea that everything we learned about being married came through our music uh, because we were actually co-artistic or rather co-directors of a choir in university. That's where we met. It was a group called Weeby Jazz and out of York University in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And we were co-directors, which is already an unusual thing. But learning how to compromise, learning how to communicate, learning how to listen, learning when to give, when to take. Like I said, there is so much trust when it just comes to two voices. You have to lift somebody up sometimes. Other times you have to let them run free. So it's this amazing, almost vocal dance that goes on at all times. It's like life choreography. (laughs) (laughs) So I wonder how much of your act is building and layering as you go? And how much of it do you do any sort of little bits that are pre-recorded, even just for time purposes, right, to save some time? How do you decide the line on that? We basically decided that we didn't want to have anything pre-recorded. And so we have, like I said, we use Ableton and Mainstage. And so with our technical setup, we actually use in-ear monitors. So the only thing we have going that's pre-recorded is a click track. Dylan and I both have perfect pitch, so we don't even need a tuning note or anything like that, which also makes it a lot of fun just to jump into a song. (laughs) And so it's really great. We actually decided as part of our own kind of personal and musical mandate, we didn't want to have anything pre-recorded. So there are no backing tracks, no band in a box, nothing of the karaoke variety. So again, we're just putting a lot of responsibility on ourselves to create that music. And the way we change things up is, is by going between just two voices live into the more live looping where we can add multiple harmonies and multiple rhythms. Yeah, nice. It's so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) you mentioned that your last tour got cut a little short, which I imagine most most groups were either in the middle of a tour or coming back from one or getting ready to go on another one. Mm -hmm. How have you all transitioned to the virtual world what are you doing to survive all of this yeah it's a it's a big blow to artists everywhere and uh yeah so our brazil trip got cut short and then we had a bunch of activity some choral clinician work that we were doing and concerts and workshops in other parts of canada that got canceled after that and then our our annual europe trip with uh, working with choirs in in germany as well as going to italy that's actually where we would 
Oh, no, we would have been home by now, actually. And of course, our <laughs> Sing Festival would have started next week. So we would have been deep in the throes of that. And we had other work. Like I said, we, we basically have work that's been canceled for the foreseeable future, like right up until September. So what, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. But, you know, we've kind of decided we, we almost meditated on our empty calendars and basically said, okay, what are we going to do to make this a, a positive experience? We're both rather positive people to begin with. With. Um, and so we decided, you know, let's use this gift of time wisely. Let's start doing those things that we've never been able to get around to. Taxes aside, uh, you know, something like <laughs> something like exercising and practicing and cooking more, cleaning, learning new video editing software. That's been the new thing for us. So learning how to again be more self sufficient online. We're doing something with with this particular band. We're doing. Uh, free play Fridays at four, and that's four p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we're doing this. Uh, I'm calling it Free Play Fridays at four for the foreseeable future. So it's a, it's a new <laughs> so many apps, and I love it. <laughs> new tongue twister for the coral world. Um, <laughs> um, and so we're doing that. Like I said, we just made this documentary for our rural touring partners in uh, the UK. We did three thirty-minute concerts for Adelaide Fringe. They're doing something called Fringe View Online. Everybody's moving over to this uh, online platform. And so we're very interested in trying to give a high fidelity concert because you see a lot of people who are doing concerts in their living rooms with their iPhones and the sound isn't always so great. And that's a huge, yeah. th that's a huge concern for me and Dylan. So we've mm. been, we've been finding uh, really wonderful technological solutions. And so we're putting on these sort of hi-fi concerts every week. We have a few other projects going on as well. I'm in a couple of other bands. One is called Auto Rickshaw. That's my Indian fusion band. Uh, and that's an instrumental band. I have a community choir that I normally would be directing along with four other directors. Of course, that's come to a, not a grinding halt, but we're again finding different ways of being able to provide for our choir, whether it's just short videos of warm ups or learning a new mm. song or a sing along style thing. We're, we're trying to work out the latency issues on something like Zoom. So learning about new platforms and new softwares that are out there. So it's really quite interesting. The learning curve is huge, but I, I think it's going to be really rewarding <laughs> just basically to be able to provide for our community because I think people are longing for the live experience. At least I hope they are still. I, and I hope they continue to. Yeah. Well, I think that one of the nice things that you guys have in, in that your partnership is also a marriage is that you don't have to necessarily be physically distanced from each other. And that that frees you in some ways to, to do more than you might be able to do to do if you weren't actually physically living in the same house. Yes, exactly right. You know, we're starting to see uh, acapella groups that are doing the sort of box video, split screen videos, which I think is a another good solution. Once again, so long as the technology is there with you. And you're right. It, I'm so grateful that that we are in the same household and we're, we're both multi-instrumentalists. We're both technologically capable. So we're able to do pretty much 
everything we did before. We just can't do it with the other groups that we sing and play with, uh, like my my group Autorickshaw, but also our 80s a cappella group called Retrocity. We're both in that group, and uh, it's uh, basically the, the top 40s of the 80s, all a cappella. And we've been doing Zoom calls together, which, which has been satisfying the need to kind of connect with one another, but we haven't sung together in quite some time. So we're hoping to remedy that with one of those box videos soon. Very cool. Yeah. Along those lines, you're also planning an event and we're seeing lots of events just kind of postponed or canceled. What's going into evolving Sing, knowing that we might not be back to normal by the fall. Yeah, it's um, it's been tough. We've had a couple of board meetings. We just had one a couple of nights ago and we're basically brainstorming and figuring out what are our options. So we've actually figured out a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, and now a plan D in terms of, you know, whether we can actually have a a full-on festival with a gathering of the public versus something like going completely online uh, so that everyone is still at you know, in their stay at home orders or something in between where the artists are maybe in a venue themselves with a select few in the audience and also an online component or maybe one of these drive-in concerts that people are starting to talk about now, which I think is quite intriguing. And yeah, or do we go completely as a sort of webstival as uh, as some people are calling it now? So it's quite fascinating. It's very challenging and it's great to have so many heads, you know, together just to try and figure out what the solutions are and yeah I my feeling my gut feeling says that we're not going to have large gatherings by the fall so I'm thinking more of a a web festival for this year anyway well we're looking forward to it no matter what so (laughs) I think it'll be I there's still things that we can be doing online like you mentioned earlier and I think there's still things that we can get out of a festival even though one of the best parts is being all together with that creative energy just kind of spinning around but hopefully we can learn to replicate that at least for a little while yes exactly if people want to tune into our free play Fridays at that would be wonderful as a way to connect with your audience and to uh, to give them some music and hopefully lift the spirits. And is that right on your Facebook page? Yes, it is. Great. We will direct you to the Facebook page so that you can watch that. It's a pretty cool thing to spend your Friday afternoon doing. <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us, Suba. We hope that we get to see you sooner rather than later in person. And we appreciate all that you're doing. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. So we had this really awesome conversation with Suba. And one of the things that she brought up that I'd like to talk to you more about is this idea of having a week-long festival, which is not something really that we do here in the U.S. a ton. Most of our festivals are weekends. And I wonder... You know, what your thought is about how we might be able to accommodate something like that here? Right. I mean, the only events outside of Sing Toronto that I have been to that are longer than a weekend are barbershop conventions. But that requires, at least in the American mindset, that requires so much commitment and planning. Most people plan to attend over a year in advance, or they just put it on their regular calendar, like this is what I'm spending my time on year after year. But I don't think it has to be that much of a commitment. Like Sing Toronto kind of has a balance of it's something you can just pop into. There's plenty of different venues. So if one concert really isn't for you, there's like 17 other events and get-togethers and concerts that you can choose from and you don't have to commit to the whole thing, which I think is a risk on the part of the planner, but also gives attendees much better options. Yeah, I wonder too what the thought is on sort of the location of the attendees. Do you think people travel 
to go to the Toronto Festival for that week-long period of time? Or do you think it really is focused on people who happen to already be in Toronto as it is a big sort of like hub of of people, right? It's a big city with, with a number of people. So maybe they can take advantage of the fact that people live there so they can pop in and out of the various events as they happen over the course of the week. Exactly. I think where the biggest mindset difference with Sing Toronto is, is that they bring acapella to the people. Whereas in the U.S., our festivals and conventions tend to be, we have to bring the people to the event. So we expect people to fly in or drive in or, you know, commit to a full weekend and commit to everything on that schedule. Whereas in Toronto, they just put it out there for the city to see. And while, yes, some people do come in for the event, I think a lot of it is geared to the people that are already there. Yeah. Given that different mindset, I wonder, would that mean that it might make sense if we wanted to try and model that here to do something over spring break or winter break, fall break, over summer? Right. Because that is with a time when most of the scholastic groups have freedom in their schedules to take advantage of something like that. Right. And building the festival around the idea that not everybody has to be there the whole time. So people don't have to commit to seven days. Sometimes that festival is 10 days long. I've been, but I only go for three or four days because I can't commit to a 10 day. I mean, I don't live in Toronto. I don't even live in Canada. So that's not an option. (laughs) But you know, three or four days and I hit up a whole bunch of different things. And they have other days that are geared to people that aren't me. So yeah, there's that. But I I do think maybe the idea that bringing the festival to the people that are there, bringing the festival to people rather having people come to it is one that we could adopt, especially having it over a week. And maybe, I mean, we do have events like that in the States, just not acapella specific ones Mm. where like cities will put on summer festival or spring festival or fall festival and the people come to it, but they're all, you know, they're all local. So giving people, I think... I think the variety is a big thing. So, so many of our festivals here in the United States are based around the same model, competition, workshops, very insider workshops they tend to be too. Concert with a with a yeah. group that tends to be huge in the very insider community, more workshops, another concert with people that are huge inside the community. And I know a lot of these festivals, because when I was planning them too, we were trying to find groups that had an appeal, you know, that would reach outside of the walls of the acapella people. But that's not always an option. So things I, you know, I really enjoy about Sing Toronto is they bring in all kinds of different vocal groups. Sometimes they're not even entirely acapella, but there's a nice crossover and the voice is always the focus. And they go into the schools and they go into local churches. They have venues across a lot of Toronto. It's not just in one little hub. They have a little arts district or it's kind of more of a, you know, people are used to walking outside. There's independent small vendors, people like that are artisans. It's just a great vibe where people are looking for things like that. They don't they don't come there specifically for that, but they're pleasantly surprised when they come upon it and they stick around. Yeah. I wonder if that means that one of the things that we would sort of want to do if we were to model that is to broaden the scope, kind of in, in reference to what you were saying about having it be fairly insider. If there were various presentations, topics on like intro type stuff to pull in sort of the casual fan who may not actually sing in their own group or be part of a group, but it's interested in the kind of style right? Um, to give them a taste, yeah. right? Kind of like whet their appetite for this thing, which would have multiple benefits oh, because then once their appetite is whetted, <laughs> um, you know, maybe they'll go out and 
find a group to sing in because they are enthralled with the process or the music or the blending or any of that stuff. Right. But they don't have a, a sort of <laughs> gateway drug to keep yeah. going down, you know, sort of a gateway into sort of what it's about. Yeah. And I think the idea is there. Like at CASA festivals, for example, there's this concept of the Akabam, where in between workshops, the groups go out and when it's nice, like when it's in LA or when it's, you know, nicer weather, these Akabams are outside. But because a lot of these events are held on college campuses or in small suburbs, because that's where the venues are available, it ends up just being groups singing for other attendees and not really exposure to the general public. So finding a place where maybe these groups could be singing Sing Toronto just puts up a very plain stage in the middle of public squares for this event and it becomes a place for people to just stop and listen and they put out some chairs and they encourage people to stay and watch and it's pretty cool and it's good exposure for the groups and you know if the group doesn't happen to be that great I mean of course they're screened passerbys can just keep passing by they don't have to stop but oftentimes the groups are interesting enough that people want to stop and hear them because these passerbys are just general music audience. They're not like acapella aficionados that are like, oh, that chord, I didn't really like that chord. And those, you know, syllables were kind of trash. That's not what these people are looking for. Yeah, it's a very different kind of, uh, it's a different audience. It's a completely different audience and having the opportunity to, I would imagine as a group having the opportunity to delve into both sides of it, something very, very niche, very particular, very specific, and also the opportunity to be very broad and to appeal to kind of the masses gives you a, a lot of a lot of exposure, a lot of opportunities for for learning and for improving what your group does. Yeah. So let's consider this a challenge out there to anybody who is hosting an event to be creative and think of ways where you can expand your festival beyond the walls of the school or the venue to include more of a general audience so that we can capture what is so great about Sing Toronto and what they're doing really well. Thank you so much for tuning in this week as always. Next week, we'll be back with Nina Cassia of Hive, and we're talking about all kinds of great things around inclusion and empowerment. It's a great episode. We hope you'll come back, and we'll see you next Tuesday.